All right, guys, all I need is five or so minutes of your time. And in that time, I'm going to blow your mind with something that I learned <clears throat> about interactions between bees and their corresponding bacteria. So don't go anywhere. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. I am Dr. K., uh, before we get going, if you wouldn't mind hitting that follow button, that would just be fantastic. So, today we're going to be talking a little bit about bees and bacteria. Bees, you may be aware, we rely on for a whole bunch of different things. We rely on them for honey. That is what we typically associate with bees. We also associate with them getting all of the stings and all the different things. Um, but the main thing is we get we get honey from them. Now, the one thing we don't typically think about when we think about bees is their bacteria, but their relationship with bacteria is actually really, really cool. That is worth exploring. It's also worth using as an example of a broader concept of interactions between organisms and their core or like larger organisms like us and like bees and their corresponding bacteria. So bees, you may be aware already, are what is known as eusocial organisms. So what that means is that they form this advanced level of social organization. So uh, they're actually the most socially advanced, actually, whereas Humans, like you and I, we can we have we're, we're so-called social animals. We're able to form groups. Uh, we can re recognize other organisms. We're able to work harmoniously to a certain extent with each other. I think I read somewhere that the maximum size of a network for humans is something like 250 or something to 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 that level. But bees, on the other hand, and other eusocial organisms. Their social organization is a lot is a lot larger. You can think about them as being super organized. So they have thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands, sometimes even millions of organisms that all live harmoniously within a particular area, within a particular group. Right? The example obviously is the bees. You can also think about ants, termites, all these different organisms that can somehow keep it together with tens of thousands of their own organisms within a localized community. Now, there are a couple of things, a couple of characteristics that define eusocial behavior. One of the key characteristics is the fact that usually there's like one female or a so-called cast of females that produces the offspring. And then everyone else, all the other castes or groups are geared towards protecting and then maintaining that, that cast, that, that protected queen or what have you. So this is where we get our divisions of bees, obviously. So the first one is the queen bee. They're the head of the group. They're the head of the colony. They provide all the offspring. Then we have the drones, which are males. They don't really, they don't really, or don't really do anything. They're not really good for anything other than mating. Uh, and then we have the rest of the worker bees that their main thing is just, again, protecting the environment, protecting the community, feeding the offspring, feeding the queen bee, making sure that everything is, is working well. So that's great. Now, Living in a eusocial environment is actually pretty useful. Obviously, the, the bees and ants and termites have figured it out. There's a lot of protection associated with it. Um, you, you work together in a community. You can do a lot more things in a big group as opposed to if you're just one teeny tiny organism. Um, but there's also some issues with living in a eusocial environment as it relates to 
microorganisms. And in order to understand that, we need to dive in a little deeper into the bee microbiome. Because you see, bees, like us, like cows, like everyone else, they have their own microbiomes that are associated with them. And while microbiomes in you and I and bees and cows and all these different things, while microbiomes typically help out the organism that they are located in, if you misregulate the microbiome, this can lead to some really dramatic and deadly results. Because microbiomes, they aren't really, it's really easy, I think, now to think in, in this um, in this era of fecal transplants and probiotics and all these different things that we'll, we'll talk about on the podcast at some point. It's really easy to think about microbiomes as being some kind of like buff or some kind of some kind of supplement that's just going to make that's going to facilitate you doing everything it'll, it'll just make you be able to perform tasks better and do it really really well but you have to think not you don't have to you can't think about microbiomes that way microbiomes they're these living breathing e- ecosystems and like any ecosystem they have to be curated and cold otherwise they're just going to grow out of proportion Right. Instead of just thinking of simply adding a microbiome and then drawing the benefits, you have to think about the microbiome as something separate from you. So we have our own microbiome. Right. And that microbiome is always trying to grow. And then we have our own human immune system or in this case, a bee immune system. And that's always trying to control it to make sure that it doesn't grow out of proportion. And it's the tension between these forces of the microbiome trying to grow and the immune system trying to like subdue it a little bit that generates this this harmonious um, interaction between us and our microbiome. That's what makes the beneficial microbiome. If you misregulate this tension, let's say you swing it too far to the side of bacterial growth, you could overrun the host organism. Now that's that's with the, that's with beneficial microbiomes. This becomes an even bigger deal if you introduce the notion of bacterial pathogens, right? Bacterial pathogens, obviously, there's they don't really hang out particularly, they don't really want to hang out particularly with, um, let me rephrase this, our bodies don't really like having pathogens around. Pathogens love being around us. And pathogen growth, pathogens really love being around us when there's a whole bunch of us around, right? This is what happens every single time you have like the flu season or if you have a a bacterial infection that's spreading in a community. Now, take our example. Let's say there's a virus that's spreading around in the community. It can spread really, really fast when there's a whole bunch of organisms that it can infect. Now think about this in the context of a eusocial organism. Remember that a eusocial group, they have hundreds, thousands, even millions of organisms all living in a community. And in something like a hive or an anthill or a termite big, big thing, in any of these instances, there's millions of organisms all really squished close together. So if you get a misaligned microbiome, so for example, if the if if a eusocial group can't control the growth of its own microbiome, or if a pathogen is introduced to a eusocial group, it looks less and less like one organism is going to get killed, it looks more and more like an entire colony is going to be wiped out if you misregulate a microbiome in a eusocial community or if you introduce a pathogen into a eusocial community. Now, this is particularly relevant during winter months because bees are hibernating during winter months. So if they don't have a way of protecting themselves, 
when they're asleep, they will literally just be eaten alive in their sleep, whether it be by their own microbiome or through an introduced pathogen. So that's a horrible thought. At the end of the day, that means that you social organisms like bees have to have a way of keeping the bacterial growth in check, in whether, whether it be a microbiome or a pathogen. They have to have this really delicate balance of encouraging their natural microbiome, to, which simultaneously um, prevents the spread of pathogens and also bolsters the own, uh, their own their own ability to do basic tasks, while also not letting it grow too far. And it has to do this while it's asleep. Now, in order to do this, bees exhibit a whole lot of behaviors that produce this so-called social immunity. So it's a whole bunch of behaviors that all the bees do together in one group. And as they all do this group movement, then that bestows upon the entire group this immunity and this protection from either pathogens or prevents um, their own microbiome from overgrowing. Okay. Uh, they do this a whole bunch of different ways. They can either they, they clean each other all the time. They remove dead bees. They clean themselves all the time. They also have this really neat thing called social fever. You guys may have heard of this before where all the bees, they flap their wings really, really fast, really, 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 really fast. And that, that release of energy increases the temperature in a hive. And then they can keep on doing that and increase the temperature to this as I mentioned, this social fever state, which is a way of killing off existing pathogens or of peeling back a little bit of the existing microbiome. So there are all these different ways that you can um, bring down or you can regulate the surrounding bacterial environment. One of the neatest ways that you can do this, or at least that the, the bees do this, is through this so-called royal jelly. It's this jelly-like substance that they secrete through their hypopharyngeal gland. Now, this jelly is really, really neat stuff for a whole bunch of different reasons. Uh, first of all, it has a bunch of antibiotic compounds just located in it. So if you want to kill off bacteria, you can just slap some royal jelly on it, and that'll just kill, it'll just kill the bacteria. So that's one way of doing it. So it's a good way of stopping pathogens that are on their way in just by introducing an antibiotic ointment. The second thing that it can do is it has an enzyme in the jelly called glucose oxidase. And this glucose oxidase, if you blend it with honey, is able to make something called hydrogen peroxide. Now, Dr. K, you say, I know what hydrogen peroxide is. I found it in Walmart. Yes, you did. It's a type of hygienic, uh, type of hygienic liquid, right? So it's used as a way of killing bacteria. So you can use the antibiotics that are found in royal jelly. You can also synthesize another hygienic compound um, by mixing it with honey, which they just happen to have on hand all the time. It could, there's also some interesting research that indicates that it could be used as a, a type of primer or a training module for a naive bee's immune system. So let's say that you are a brand new bee, you just came out, you're ready to take on the world, and but you don't really know the type of bacterial environment that you're walking into. So whenever bees can eat this royal jelly, what could do, again, this is just one of the, the thoughts out there, what it could do is it could, as you eat the royal jelly, tell you, okay, you're going to be coming in contact with these different types of bacteria, so be ready for them. Have your immune system prepped and ready to go for when you come in contact with these bacteria. So it's really, really cool, this really, really neat um, system. Now, taking all of this into account, the royal jelly and the cleaning and the removing dead bees and the social fever, all of these behaviors... If you put them all together, you have this really neat pattern that emerges where the eusocial community is able to 
have a stable microbiome associated with the hive um, and also prevents the growth of pathogens within the hive, right? So the two things, it, it, it makes, sure that's, makes sure that the microbiome is healthy and growing while also not overgrowing. And in doing so, that prevents colonization of pathogens and it also has, gives them the ability to fight off pathogens if pathogens ever show up. So it makes this social immunity, another word for it is a social skin. So give it up for the bees, guys, and their microbiome. As I mentioned before, we rely on them for so many different things. Um, so it's good to, you know, it's good to get a chance to look under the hood, see how this whole thing works, and see how these interactions between bees and their microbiome are, are regulated and how they, how they maintain a healthy, healthy hive. All right, everybody, that is all I have time for today. Thank you again for tuning in. Until next Tuesday, I'm Dr. K. I'll see you then.